Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Friends, hello, welcome. So we have Dr. Eric Endlich, who is a clinical psychologist and founder of Top College Consultants with us today. And he helps neurodiverse students nationwide transition to college. And he's also on the Learning Differences Neurodiversity Committee of the Independent Educational Consultants Association, which is actually where we met him at one of their conferences on Zoom recently. And he's also on the clinical advisory board of the Asperger Autism Network. He also co-manages a Facebook group, Parents of College-Bound Students with Learning Disabilities, ADHD, and ASD. And they have over 1,400 members of that Facebook group. He's also a professional writer and national presenter. And he's been interviewed by Forbes Magazine, Business Insider, College Express, College Confidential, and U.S. News and World Report. And we are just so delighted to have you on our our podcast today. Thanks for coming on, Eric. Welcome. Thank you, Debbie and Jason. Great to be here. We'd love to hear a little bit about how you got to come, how you got to this place. Did you always want to be a psychologist? And then how did you end up being um, focused on learning disabilities and neurodiversity in general? Sure. Well, I'll try not to try to give you the, sh- the short version of my life story. Um, I mean, I uh, I did figure out uh, that I was really interested in people in, in high school. I, I was uh, thinking previously of going into uh, sciences like um, astrophysics or something. And But then I, I discovered at a summer science program, I was actually more interested in the students than in the science. So I ended up going to psychology. Um, also, I was going to be a writer and I have, have been writing my whole life, too. Um, And then um, I was a clinical psychologist for many years in various different capacities, including uh, private practice, worked with uh, a lot of uh, folks on the spectrum. Um, My son was diagnosed uh, autistic at age two and a half in 1999. So my wife and I were really thrust into the autism world. And um, I ended up working with a lot of autistic clients as a therapist as well. Uh, and then many years later, um, we were sitting at another uh, at an autism conference, and um, we, we both simultaneously realized that I'm on the spectrum as well. So um, I really became even more kind of focused on uh, helping autistic clients. And um, in the process of my daughter applying to college, I, I kind of discovered the whole field of college admissions consulting and just fell in love with it. I love traveling to colleges. I love working with teens, helping them on their essays and um, helping them kind of move on to a new chapter in their life. So um, being a college admissions consultant for neurodivergent students really kind of brought together lots of my interests of the counseling piece, the uh, writing piece, uh, helping folks who are not neurotypical um, and just, just helping students who might otherwise be challenged to access higher education. That's awesome. I, what was what were some of the the signs or or big factors that made you realize years and years later that oh my gosh I'm I'm on the spectrum as well. Well, we were listening to a keynote speaker um, who was um, 
Sarah Hendricks, who's very um, accomplished, uh, bright, funny, entertaining, articulate. She was talking about her own journey um, and how she discovered in her 40s after um, writing several books on autism that she herself was on the spectrum. And then it just sort of clicked like, wow, here's this professional who's accomplished, who knows all this stuff about autism. And she didn't figure it out until midlife. And, and it just gave us sort of a different vision of what autism could look like. You know, our main kind of image of it came from, from our son and, and his um, peers on the spectrum. Um, but, you know, it's a spectrum and it can present differently in different people. Yeah. And then when kind of went back through my life and looked at all the different um, challenges I'd had, uh, it just became increasingly clear. And I ended up actually working with a couple of colleagues um, also on the spectrum and co-writing a book on older uh, autistic adults based on a survey of 150 adults nationwide. I mean, uh, worldwide. And did, did you come up with any amazing insights as to what helped you survive being autistic growing up or transitioning into adulthood? Um, that's a great question. I mean, it probably would have been easier if I had known earlier on what, what the reason for some of my challenges were. Um, you know, one of the things we found in our study of 150 adults is that the vast majority were bullied in childhood. Um, the vast majority didn't discover until, you know, after age 40 that they were on the spectrum. And, um, and the most common response was relief. So people felt tended to feel much better after they were diagnosed. Um, I think one thing that helped me as a kid is I had a really good friend group, which is not always the case for autistic uh, children, but I just lucked out. I had a really great group of friends. And uh, so the, even though if I may not have fit into the, the cool kid group, um, it still really helped me uh, in, during childhood. And then having having what you know people call special interests, having real passions, has always been a real focus. And I think that's something to be nurtured and encouraged because that can turn into a career. Um, so always having something that I was passionate about really helped me too. So it's interesting when you mentioned feeling relieved when you realized, mm-hmm. and that adults felt that way on in your book interviews. Mm-hmm. That was the same feeling I had when we re- when our son when he was 13, when he was diagnosed, people were like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, it like helps me understand him now. And it, it just like connected dots for me. And I remember just feeling like relieved, like, Oh, now I get him. I get what's going yes, on. Yes. Sometimes there's stages, you know, the first stage is not always a positive one. Sometimes it's shock. Um, when, when our son was diagnosed, he was a toddler. Um, we didn't, even though I was a psychologist, um, we didn't know that much about autism. Um, the things that we were told by the professionals weren't terribly encouraging. Um, there weren't as many resources out there. My wife, in fact, founded a, a, a group of parents called Common Bonds to help parents connect with each other. Um, and um, one professional even talked about maybe institutionalizing him. So it wasn't exactly a positive message initially. Um, but then, you know, as you learn more, as you learn about the possibilities, it can be very uplifting. And as you said, really, if nothing else, help make sense of everything. And lots of um, celebrities have recently um, been either coming out or getting diagnosed and and talking about their stories in the media. And uh, one thing that's pretty common thread is people say, you know, finally, my life makes sense. Like all the pieces fit together. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. I know that's personal. all of, all of our listeners, they want the vast information you have, and we'll talk about that now, but the, the assessing and the college readiness and transition and accommodations, all of those things are great. I think they really value and need the emotional processing 
Um, so you sharing that, I think means a lot because they're, they're going through the emotional process of everything. And that's really helpful um, information Thanks, as well. Jason. I, I also feel like it helps me um, be patient with the students that I work with and understand, you know, why they might be challenged and that they, that may, they may have social difficulties at school or, or feel like they don't fit in. Yeah. And that it's and not encourage really... their dreams, you know, encourage them not to give up. Sometimes, unfortunately, they, they get negative messages from someone. It, it could be the school district, could be some random professional they interacted with who's kind of lowering the bar or lowering their expectations. You know, I had a student recently who the school she was in was encouraging her to not even take her high school diploma. Um, and, um, and I worked with her and she actually ended up getting into the Berkeley College of Music. Um, so, you know, I want students to dream and pursue their dreams. Right. So a lot of our parents are either preparing to, or, or our students or anyone that's listening to our podcast, they're either in high school or preparing for high school or preparing for college. Let's start with high school. How, how should parents start with assessing college readiness and what can they do to prepare their kids for college or leaving the home or, or staying yep. at home and going to a community college? What do you recommend? What are some of the questions you ask? How do you approach it? What suggestions do you have? Um, great question. I mean, I have, I do whole talks on that subject. So, so it, um, I can't really compress it all into one answer, but um, it's not a black or white thing that either you're ready for college or you're not. I mean, even neurotypical students who successfully go on to college and graduate college don't necessarily have all of the skills mastered that, that you should. But um, one of the keys is to distinguish between being college capable and college ready. So if students are taking reasonably challenging courses in high school and getting pretty good grades, chances are they're capable of college level material. You know, if they're taking honors courses, AP courses, getting A's and B's, they're most likely going to be perfectly capable of handling the academic rigor of college. Um, so they're co college capable. Um, that doesn't mean that they are college ready because readiness has more to do with being able to handle the independence, being able to live away from your parents, um, manage your time, self-advocate with professors, live with a roommate, um, you know, remember to do your laundry, remember to get up in the morning um, and, you know, not miss class and a whole bunch of other things, skills that they may not be practicing in high school. And, and so I, I will go through with, with kids and their parents, you know, kind of from the beginning to the end of the day, who's, who's responsible for this? Who's helping you with this? Um, you know, are kids getting themselves up in the morning? Are they keeping track of their own assignments? Uh, do they know how to do laundry? Can they manage money? Um, do they remember to, you know, do they go to bed at a reasonable hour? Do they manage to control their use of electronics and social media or gaming so that they can, you know, have a decent balance and get their work done? Um, if they're doing all that stuff independently in high school, great. They're, they're on track. Again, I'm not saying that, that neurotypical kids necessarily have all of these skills mastered. But if, if they can't get themselves up in the morning for school, for example, that's something they need to work on mastering while they're still in high school. So that when they go off to college and their parents aren't there to, you know, shake them and get them out of bed, they're ready to do that. So parents can start kind of dialing it back, start stepping back and start putting into place plans and strategies for kids to do more of these things on their own while they're still in high school. 
I, and that's the short answer. <laughs> I, oh, and, that is, and I love that distinction. Um, and I can just hear a parent going, yeah, but what if they don't? What if they fail? What if they don't get out of bed? What if they, they need me to do it? And how do you dial it back? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, the, it, it's a process. You don't, you don't have to just say announce one day. Okay. I'm never, you know, waking you up again. Um, you could start practicing, you know, during a safer time, like on, on a vacation or, or a weekend and, uh, you know, make sure the kids have a, alarm clocks that that are effective for them but also that they go to bed at a reasonable hour i'm not a huge fan of alarm clocks because to me that means you're not getting enough sleep so you know and, and i understand it's challenging because they're circadian rhythms they may like to stay up late and sleep late um, but i would say it's a it's a gradual process it's not something that i would expect people to do overnight um, of course in college a lot of kids opt to avoid early morning classes for that very reason so they don't have to get up before you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, but that may or may not be possible, you know, especially if, you know, you're on a sports team and you have to get up early for practices. So you can't totally rely on that solution in college. I love the, the distinction between capable and ready. And as an extension of that, we find that when students are ready to go out into the workplace, they have the hard skills that the job requires, but they get fired for their lack of soft skills. Um, not being able to manage their life outside of the actual core tasks at the job. So, you know, leaving home and going to college and then going from college into a career, it's, it's the same issue. Um, and the secondly, the shift from, are they ready? Um, it's such a developmental piece more than a willingness piece or, a, or even a in the moment capable piece. It's not that they won't, it's that they, they don't, or they can't quite yet. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of keeping my on my eye on the ball too, in terms of the long term. Um, that I do want them to eventually transition to a career, not just get a college diploma, and, really? and move back home. Games. I do want them to transition to the workplace. So you know, I'm also looking for internships for them while they're still in high school, or programs where they can learn career skills before right. or during college and encourage them to, you know, get internships or jobs during college, encourage them to think about careers. So I'm kind of incorporating that into to what I do as well. And often they um, have the opportunity to do interviews for college admissions. So there's, there's an opportunity to hone your interview skills that you're going to need for the workplace also. So yeah. there are opportunities to kind of start building in these skills for the long term, for the transition to career. Um, I agree. Um, the soft skills are typically where um, neurodivergent folks get tripped up in successfully staying at work. Um, fortunately, some employers are recognizing that and making changes to be more inclusive. So I, I like to see people meet, meet in the middle. You know, you can't expect employers to, to change everything, um, whether we would like them to or not, they probably won't. Um, but you can't expect um, neurodivergent people to be neurotypical either. So oh. yeah, maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I, I think when parents are focused on the performative milestone of I, if I can just get them to graduate high school, somehow that will magically erase all of the lack of developmental skills. And they're afraid to back off and let them develop so that when they call, go to college, they can succeed. I think that's a, a mistake I made as a parent as well. And I, I would love for parents to see their, their interaction and their parenting or their mentoring in terms of 
but how do I help them develop? Not how do I get them through high school? You know, how do not how do I get them a college degree, but how do I get them prepared for a career? That's that's a developmental approach versus a performative goal um, approach. And I think yeah. that helps. And if if you're developmentally delayed, um, that means you arrive at the same milestones later. It doesn't mean you're not going to arrive at them ever. So maybe the college degree takes longer. Maybe you start college later. Um, One thing that I see in most of the kids I work with is challenges with executive functioning. I'm sure you're familiar with that, you know, difficulties with time management, organization, planning. Um, Those parts of the brain that are are, um, uh, largely um, impacted by the frontal lobe, which continues to develop and myelinate into the mid to late 20s. So if you're thinking, oh, my kid can't even remember this, my kid can't even keep track of this, um, you know, it's, they're never going to be good at, at, you know, a job or, or college or what have you, um, just be reassured that they are still developing. And those, even in neurotypical kids, um, those, those things are still coming online well into your 20s, which is why, of course, you can't, you know, rent a, a rental car in many states until you're about 26 or so, right. because the companies recognize that um, the judgment and planning are not as good. There is some peace of mind to know that time is on your side. And that's exactly. also right. It's right. kind of a heavy thing for parents thinking if they've always thought, well, once they're 18, I can whew, take a breath and step <laughs> back. <laughs> There's no way. That's, that's also why I think um, many kids benefit from, from a gap year because it buys them an, another year of development. Um, their brain's going to be one year older. They're going to be a little bit more. Uh, capable in the area of his executive function, a little bit more mature a year later, and they have that whole year to work on those skills, whether it's, you know, uh, skill working in the workplace and developing uh, interpersonal skills and customer service skills, or whether it's going to a college readiness program. Um, and part of what um, I offer to families, I think, is helping open their eyes to things that they didn't even know what was out there, like um, college readiness programs, um, gap year programs that are specific for neurodivergent students, college autism support programs, uh, executive function coaches in college. There's all these, you know, opportunities and services and supports out there that that not everyone even knows about. And, and not everyone can afford to hire a consultant like me, which is why I put a lot of information out there for free on my website so that if somebody doesn't can't or, or chooses not to hire a consultant, they can still get lots of information for free. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on and sharing too. That's that's why we do this podcast as well. And I, I want to say too, I'm just thinking about one of our sons that has had has some uh, learning challenges and he's actually very socially adept, uh, but he executive functioning challenges. And he had a year after high school of just kind of working and he would take like one or two fun classes at the college. And I was amazed at how much maturity and development he gained in that year where he was like being more independent. I wasn't doing it. I wasn't as involved. I really Mm -hmm. backed off. Mm -hmm. And it is surprising. Like even just one year can make a big difference in maturity and development. And they, I don't know, those are, there's a a lot of development happens in that time period when they. That's great. And it sounds like he was taking courses at a pace that he could 
enjoy them and succeed at them, not where he was just worried about surviving and keeping his head above water. Right. Yeah. We wanted it to be a positive experience his first semester or year at college. And we ensured that he wanted to go back to college. Yeah. Cause he wasn't actually thinking college. He didn't want to, but right. now I think he is for sure planning on it, but he took like a mountain biking class, which he loved and he took mm-hmm. a photography type class and did really well with that. And yeah. it was a totally yeah. different experience for him than high school where it was like, drudging through so maybe not maybe not just a gap year but a year of easing into it where it isn't necessary to prove that they can do it at college with 15 credit hours and right right hard classes yeah and and when kids go to community college first that does sort of slow down the process because they can still stay at home so that they're not making that leap of going to college level academics and living by themselves or living away from their parents in the same year that they're, they're breaking that up into two separate moves. Yeah. Um, but, the, but I also do encourage kids that um, to your point, that it can be much more interesting in college. A lot of kids have had a negative experience in high school for a whole bunch of reasons. It might be socially, it might be that they were forced to take all these courses that they didn't like, but in college, especially, you know, students on the spectrum who, who may have a very, uh, specific interest, that's the time where they can really start to pursue that interest, even more so in graduate school, to be honest. But, you know, if you love geology or anthropology or mathematics or cybersecurity, whatever it might be, you're going to be able to take a whole bunch of classes in that in college. Whereas in high school, every single year, it's another year of foreign language, another year of social studies, another year of English, you know, Um, it's not like that so much in college. When parents are saying to to themselves, what you need to get ready for the real world. You don't just get to take the fun classes. I get the mistake. I love it when they can take enough classes that push them a little bit, but also ensures that the first semester away from home or at college is a positive one. Um, and similar to having yeah. them get a job. I, our students get their first job and immediately my tendency as a parent is to say, okay, you get your first paycheck. We have to start saving. We have to, and we have <laughs> rules and we shut them down, but I actually want them to go out and blow that money on something really cool that they love that they've never been able to buy for themselves so that they like getting a paycheck. That's more important than being really responsible with that first paycheck. Yeah. One of my students uh, who, who's um, focused on drones um, incorporated some of that into his essay that um, he really liked being able to work as a teenager and pay for his his hobby himself and feel like, hey, this is something I earned. This isn't just something my, you know, my rich parents are are giving me. Um, and that really can be very satisfying for a student. Back to your point about you know being able to in- study things that you enjoy in college. Also, there's things outside the classroom in college, like clubs. You know, you you're not only going to be able to take cool, interesting classes in college. I mean, I took a course in and the search for intelligent life in the universe in college, which was not part of my major. I just thought it was a really interesting topic. Um, But, you know, there might be a Quidditch club. There might be an anime club. There's going to be stuff you can find. You can find your people in college. It's not like high school where there's two or three big clicks. And if you're not in with the cool kids, you just feel like an outcast. In in college, there's so much more, uh, so many more clubs and opportunities. You can always find something that works for you. That reminds me, we've been trying to address something for high school kids with IEPs that we would love to see more IEPs cover developmental, experiential things, um, avocations, not just coursework, accommodations, and 
I would love for an IEP to say, have the school football team find a place for this young man to be a volunteer or have them be a part of a club where they're underneath the, the wing of a, of a mentor. Any thoughts on that? Any movement in that area? Because I think that would be so critical for success in college to change IEPs in high school. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that idea. I mean, of course, you still have to work within the the framework of what the legal requirements are for for the IEP and what the district is, you know, willing to do and all of that. But um, there, part of an IEP is a transition plan, um, and and you're supposed to be working on that years in advance of the student um, leaving high school. Unfortunately, the degree to which schools have transition meetings and come up with a complex, robust plan can really vary from one school to another. So right. some some students have a very detailed plan. Um, sometimes parents are like, oh, I, we, I didn't realize we were supposed to be doing that or that the school was supposed to be doing that for us. And it doesn't always get done in a timely or thorough fashion. But um, yeah, I don't see why that transition plan couldn't incorporate some of the pieces you're talking about to prepare the student for having you know, even more great opportunities after they leave. Yeah, I find most of the um, disability resource people in, in the, the districts, most of them are there because they love the students and they're patient and they're kind. And they want to actually give them what they need. You know, sometimes there's a battle when it's a bureaucrat that's there to protect money in a school. But I think for the most I part, agree. they're like, man, I would love, I would love to give them something out of the box if that's important for their transition to college. Um, if they can't just go from high school being lonely and never getting out of their house to suddenly going to college and joining a club, which would be awesome. Yeah, I agree. I think most people in education, whether it's the special ed teacher or the high school counselor or what have you, they're there because they love um, students and they love helping students succeed. Um, that may get sometimes lost in the bureaucratic maze, but sure. I do think that for the vast majority of them, their heart is in the right place. And if someone like you comes along with a, you know, an innovative idea and, and a way to do it, that's not going to break their budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, some people are going to be receptive. Yeah. I guess what, where do you see students falling apart the most once they leave home and go to college? If, if they don't go to a community college and they live at home, if they move away from co- from home to college, where do they tend to break down the most? Well, you're assuming they've gone through the whole process up until that point um, successfully. I I see a lot of challenges in the college application process itself with with students struggling with deadlines. You know, colleges have their deadlines for applications and and various requirements. Students have to get the rec- letters of recommendation and request transcripts and so on. And 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 some students with stru- struggle with various pieces of that. But assuming they've you know navigated all that, and that's why I'm here to help them su- succeed. If they just go to a college that because of, if their choice of college doesn't take into account their support needs, that could really backfire. So if they say, I'm going to go to this college because it's the closest one to home or because all my friends are going there or because I I love the sports at this college um, and they don't take into account, hey, I need executive function coaching. I need um, social um, skills coaching. If, if they're not taking into account their, their various needs, then, then they could fall flat very quickly. In fact, that's really why I, I went from being a psychologist to being a consultant 
uh, an educational consultant because I had seen students in my therapy practice who went off to college and didn't even make it through their first year. And, and that's because they either weren't college ready and, and they could have addressed that through some of the things we talked about earlier, or they just went to a random college that didn't have any special support program. Many colleges do have learning support programs uh, for kids with uh, a variety of diagnoses or autism support programs for specifically for students on the spectrum. And there's other supports outside of the college you can bring in if you're, if you, for some reason, you're at a college that doesn't have those things. The other thing is that sometimes students are resistant to access these supports, to disclose their diagnosis. When you talk with them about it in high school, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on an IEP, but I don't really need all that stuff. I don't think I'm going to need that in college. Um, you know, I, I just want to see how it goes. And, and if I need things in college, then I'll worry about it then. That's, that's the wrong approach. Uh, uh, approach, in my opinion, you know, that's like saying, oh, well, if I get into a car accident, then I'll put on my seatbelt. Um, yeah. <laughs> if right. I, you know, if my house catches on fire, then I'll buy fire insurance. These are things to have in place. Maybe you'll need them. Uh, maybe you won't need them. Maybe you won't need them as much as you did in high school, but have them in place and and be able to advocate for yourself and learn about your needs in high school. You know, go to your IEP meetings, understand what your challenges are, and be honest with yourself about them. You know, none of us is perfect. None of us is completely free of challenges. You may be amazing at certain things, but that doesn't mean you don't need support in other areas. And the sooner you can be honest and comfortable with that and, and seek help when you need it, the more likely you are to succeed in college, whether that's going to the tutoring center or the counseling center for mental health issues or talking to your professor because you don't understand what the professor talked about in class. There's lots of ways to get support in college, lots of resources out there. It's just up to students to use them. And that's one of the key differences in between high school and college. In high school, kids are really being kind of spoon-fed these supports. They're on the IEP. All these supports are being delivered every week. In college, uh, the, the laws are different. The, the, the model is different. It's not success, it's access. You have access to all these resources, but nobody's forcing them on you. If you never go right. to the tutoring center or the counseling center, um, th there's no accountability. There's no consequences, except you may not pass your classes and you may drop out of school. But there's no professor saying, hey, you know, you didn't show up in class or, or you know, you didn't come to me for help. Um, you know, occasionally a professor might might show concern. But especially if you're at a big university with, with large classes, that's not right. likely to help happen. I love parents who say to their child, I love you too much to pay for your school with you not signing a release of information from your university to me. I want that access. I won't use it. I won't abuse it, but I, I, I will only pay for school if you are willing to let us be there as a safety. And I'm sorry, I, that sucks. I, I know you wouldn't want to do that. I, I wouldn't want to go to college and self-identify as something either. I kind of would want to put that all behind me. That's that horrible high school experience. I just want to move on and be normal, but buddy, I'm your, <laughs> I'm your safety net. I am going to be there. So I need to be able to speak to the university. If they, if you suddenly stop going to classes, you know, someone needs to know. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of parents don't actually realize that your child could stop going to classes. They could start failing out of their classes. They could be on academic probation. They could be disciplined. Um, yeah. The college is not going to reach out to them and let them know that if the kid says, yeah, everything's going great. And, and they're, you know, not even 
they, they could have dropped out of college. <laughs> well, they did. One story here, there was a kid living in our building basement and he had been kicked out of Dixie State University two months previous. And he was living here in the basement because he didn't dare tell his parents. He couldn't live in the dorms anymore because he had been dropped from classes. So they kicked him out of the dorms. And we talked to him. We found him. We kind of figured out why is he hanging around? And we got him to call and talk to his parents. He was definitely neurodivergent somehow. But holy cow, that poor kid. Mm. Yeah, I mean, of course, I want families to be fostering good relationships so that it, a student would feel comfortable in college disclosing to their parents if they were struggling or running into challenges. But this, again, goes back to the student being self-aware of their challenges, being comfortable self-advocating in the college um, so that if they are starting to, to sink in, in any area, uh, and this is this is another aspect of college readiness, you need to know what your challenges are, you need to know when you need help, and you need to be able to independently seek out that help and apply it. So that if you are struggling in class, you go up to the professor and say, you know, can I see you in your office hours? Or you go to the tutoring center and get help. Or if you're starting to fall back into depression or eating disorder or or addictive patterns, that you go to the counseling center and get help. If you know these challenges and you seek help, you'll be much better off than um, someone who didn't. It's not those diagnoses don't have to define you or limit you, um, but you have to embrace who you are and and work with that. Well, I was just thinking in general, people that are highly successful in the world, they don't do that by themselves. Absolutely not. No, no. Teams it's... of people they work <laughs> with and like, yeah. just to, like all, you know, no business is successful with just one person all by themselves. Of course. You know, yeah. And there's right? plenty of CEOs with huge challenges who rely on on their assistants or staff to help them in areas that they're not very good at. And we hire out for the, you know, so and, we, and they pay for feedback, you know, mm-hmm. instead of giving me feedback as a sign of failure, it's no, no, I want the best feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. And- <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just being able to recognize that here's my strengths and here's where I struggle and truly the success is finding the resources and help for the areas that you struggle in. And so that you can really build on yeah. And when you're older, at. maybe marrying someone who's good at the stuff that you're not good at. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Jason would not have his master's degree if it weren't for my super fast typing skills an hour before he had to go to class yep. and a paper was due. <laughs> oh, man. My anxiety about writing papers was just through the roof. She just had, would have to sit by me and type. Dictate. I'm in my master's program. I'm like, I, I can't even face it. You're going to have to help me type this paper. Um, and, and I'm really good at what I do. Anxiety is a huge bugaboo for, for students for, for in so many different ways, for so many different reasons, um, but they can learn to, there are, there are skills you can learn to manage your feelings, just like there are skills you can learn to become a better student. Yeah. And the thing I love about anxiety is that they must really, really care about it to be freaking out so much about something. I, I love that they care so much because you can't, it's, I think it's harder to teach someone to care about something than to teach them how to care the right amount. Yes. Turn into anxiety. So I love that problem. Right. It's a, it's a great point. Like if you're anxious before a, a test, a standardized test, then you must care about the outcome. If you didn't right. care, you'd be like, Hey, whatever. If I don't do well on it, who cares? Right. Yeah. Right. What else haven't we covered that you think is really important for um, anyone transitioning into college or helping someone to transition? 
Well, we've actually hit some of the real key points, you know, being ready for college, working on that readiness before college, um, between high school and college, or getting the support you need in college. Um, you know, part of that, again, is like building the college list and, and choosing places where you're going to thrive. Um, I think the, the essays uh, that students write for college is, is a great opportunity for them to get to know themselves and show the college who they are. Um, and college is a great time to come into your own and discover yourself and find your tribe. So I, it's it's really exciting. Um, that's, that's part of why I like doing this work. I just think it's a really exciting time for kids in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm always thinking long-term in terms of setting them up for a career later on. Lots of students are thinking about that too, some, some not so much. But I think we've we've hit a lot of the key points. There are a couple of thoughts that I had that I think parents need to hear is one, um, just because they may not be ready to go to college doesn't mean they're ready to go and complete a vocational school or tech school. And I think a lot of parents just tend to say, oh, well, if they can't do university, they'll go to a vocational school and somehow be successful there. That's a mistake. As a matter of fact, once you sign up for a vocational school, you're usually in for 18 to 24 months. And you can't just drop out like you can at college. You can take a couple of classes, figure out what you like. The other problem is that community colleges, because they can get accepted right away, the problem that we that we see is that they don't necessarily meet their social emotional needs at a community college. They don't have the clubs. They don't have the, the life. But if you send them off to university, they're all alone and they can't manage it. So it's kind of a, a no win when you're talking about essays and being accepted into universities and colleges right here in Southern Utah at Dixie State University, we have open enrollment and they start wherever the student's at because the state of Utah decided that they value education for everyone. And we don't even have to deal with any of that acceptance issues because we can start right where they're at. And there's not even a community college nearby because there's a university. Um, That's that's a, a huge bonus. We've been looking for a second location on the East coast. And we just can't find anything similar that where we could have students who have really struggled with their identities and their development and their education. And they, Hmm. they really need the college experience, but they just can't get into a university because they're ACTs. I I love that. I would love to see that replicated around the country. We can, we can talk more about that. um, But uh, I think that's, that's really cool. Um, I, I agree with you about the social uh, transition, and that's something again families should be thinking about in in high school. What's going to happen? You know, especially if some of your friends are going off to college and they're scattering in different directions. What are you going to do, be doing for a social life if you're not going straight to college? If you do go to college, there's there's all kinds of opportunities like clubs uh, and sports teams. Um, you can't force kids to take advantage of this of those things in college, but you can certainly guide them to to thinking about them. Um, I know in some of the autism support programs, they will have peer mentors, which is a great sort of bridge to helping kids build that social life in college because the peer mentor will meet and the peer is another college student. And they'll say, you know, hey, I know you love this topic. I know you, uh, you know, you you love uh, American history, whatever. Um, let's try out that club. I'll go with you to the first meeting uh, to make you, you know, help you get comfortable. and. Um, and then, you know, after that, if you like it, then, then go back. Um, so, you know, any, just helping kids make that first step is, is critical. 
but if they don't go to college, I agree. Um, making developing that social skill once you're out of school, developing that social network um, can be hugely challenging for a lot of people. Some people find a social network at work, but not always, especially in this day and age with more remote work, it's probably harder than it used to be with people being on their phones in, in all their free moments. I don't know if people are you know, gathering around the water coolers as much as they used to in the old days. So um, yeah, I, I agree, it's a challenge. So lastly, we just wanna hear, what are, what are you passionate about? What are you excited about? What gets you up in the morning? Uh, what do you love? I'd love to hear a little bit about what makes you tick. Uh, well, it's it's my work. Maybe maybe too much. Maybe I I need to have more work life balance. Um, but I love visiting colleges, uh, helping kids learn about colleges, um, helping them move along that path to success in college uh, or grad school. And I work with with students all over the country and sometimes from other countries. So um, it's just so cool meeting these students from from all over the country or all over the world with so many different interests. And I love talking to them about the stuff they're interested in. I've also recently expanded my, my team to be a, a larger, more diverse team uh, to serve more students. Um, but even when, when it's someone else on my team who's gonna be working with the student, I love being in the, on that first meeting with the family and just getting to know all these cool kids who, who are doing interesting things and have interesting plans for the future. So how can people find you if they wanna? reach out and get consulting for their? Sure. Well, um, my company, again, is Top College Consultants. They can go to topcollegeconsultants.com or email me at eric, E-R-I-C, at topcollegeconsultants.com. Call (laughs) 833-WE-APPLY. And I'll I'll link to that in the the show notes. So if people want to find you and, or read some of your, you have great content on your Thank website. You. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good for people to go to the website first and see if, if they like uh, our approach, if they like what we stand for, if, if it looks like the kind of thing that would be helpful to them. Yeah. All right. Well, we sure appreciate you coming on. And I think this was really informative My pleasure. and helpful. Not- and, and uh, we uh, hope our listeners have a great week and, and got something from this. And, and I know I, I can just feel like um, maybe some of the stress less about the whole thing. And that would be great. I mean, that's that's a big part of why I do this work too. Is the process has become so stressful and anxiety provoking and complex. You know, there's there's over four thousand colleges to choose from. There's all the different steps involved, the essays, and um, and I want it to be an enjoyable process. It's an exciting time in their lives. I think it's cool to explore colleges. Um, so I. I'm trying to help um, kids and families relax and, and enjoy it. And uh, I know there's the financial stress too. We didn't talk about that, but I, I try to help help families find the most um, affordable option as well. I love that. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks nice for talk, talking to you both. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, Come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. Mm-hmm.